On the 14th of April 1912, RMS Titanic struck an iceberg on its maiden voyage across the Atlantic. The wreck was discovered in 1985 and has in recent years become an unlikely pilgrimage site for the ultra-wealthy. Let me explain. Let me explain with Sean Defoe, a News Talk original. Welcome to the podcast and don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever it is you're listening. Now, you've probably heard about the missing submersible this week. I mean, it ticked a load of the tags that automatically demand media attention. Missing millionaires, Titanic, search and rescue, tight deadline as air is literally running out. And as of recording this, I don't know what the outcome is. They have a few hours of air left and the, the search continues. So on this episode, we're instead going to explore what those submersibles are like, how they're built and why there's been an increase in tourism to a wreck on the bottom of the ocean. How extraordinary. And it looks the same as it did the last time I saw it. Are you ready to go back to Titanic? It's coming up on 40 years since the wreck of the Titanic was rediscovered, about four kilometres below the surface of the Atlantic Ocean, and pretty much straight away... There was a scramble to revisit it. One of the discoverers, Robert Ballard, he went before the US Congress in 1986 and he urged them to make it a maritime memorial in honour of the 1,500 or so people who died that night that the Titanic sank. He said the site should be left undisturbed despite placing a plaque on the wreckage himself. But of course it wasn't and there were many more trips down, many of them saying that they were there to salvage items from the ship for the historical record for posterity. And around 1,800 items were taken by a company called the Titanic Ventures Limited Partnership in 1987. Under a new name, it's done eight exhibitions down and auctioned off more than 5,000 items, including jewellery and other things. There's still people making money from Titanic items at auction. Today, by the way, a fragment of a step from the Grand Staircase, for example, that was auctioned off in 2012 for nearly 10 grand for just a part of a step, a wooden board. So money, another big motivating factor for some of these dives throughout the years. And there has been concern of the impact of the different dives. Even claims that some of the subs have crashed into bits of the Titanic and damaged it. And if, you know, money and the risk of such a trip isn't a concern for you, you could actually have had ample opportunity to visit the wreck of the Titanic. As early as 1998, a company called Deep Ocean Expeditions was selling tourist tickets to the wreck for a little over $32,000 each. And in 2019, a company called Blue Marble did tours for the princely sum of $105,129 a ticket, supposedly the price of a first-class ticket on Titanic's maiden voyage, adjusted for more than a century of inflation. The company they were partnering with, OceanGate. And funnily enough, a lot of the Blue Marble promotional material for those trips still comes up on Google search, but has been deleted from their social media and website pages. When you go into the Blue Marble private webpage, you're met with an all-black screen with just a pull quote from a Forbes article saying, Blue Marble Private has managed trips beyond your wildest dreams for the world's most formidable high net worth clients. The Discover section offers prospective clients a submersible trip in Costa Rica. And actually, these subtrips are quite popular away from the Titanic for seeing wildlife or other more accessible wrecks, downed World War II planes, things like that. But for some people, they want the white whale. 
and it's understood a commercial submarine has gone missing near the wreck of the Titanic. The vessel is reportedly used to take tourists to the site in the North Atlantic. Coast guards are searching for it. Let's go inside this submersible then. It's called the Titan. And when I imagined it in my head, I saw flashing lights, banks of control switches and screens like the the bridge deck of a starship. The reality, though, actually couldn't be more different. Instead, it looks a little bit like the inside of a Pringles can. There is one green button on one wall to turn it on, along with a screen for viewing. And the five passengers sit cross-legged on the floor of this small cylinder as it descends below the ocean with the pressure building and building outside. On the other side of the tube is a single porthole window which is above a small black box which serves as the toilet. Some promotional material described it as the best seat in the house. Oceangate boss Stockton Rush, well, he showed the BBC inside the sub last year, including the PlayStation controller, which guides it. It's got one button, and that's it. Yeah, so we run the sub with this game controller. Uh, it's uh, made by Logitech, but it's basically a Sony PlayStation-style controller. If you want to go forward, you press forward. If you want to go back, you press back. If you want to turn to the left, it's like that. If you want to turn to the right, you turn to the right. So what's it like on board? Well, it's not for the claustrophobic. There isn't room to stand up or even really to crouch. The five passengers all sitting cross-legged and practically on top of each other. And the total length of the sub is about 22 feet with the living space even smaller than that. And remember, it's a long trip to go on. It's 12,500 feet down, which is like stacking the spire on top of itself 32 times. It takes two hours to get down, some exploration on the bottom, and then another two hours to get back up. So no surprise then that those going on board were urged not to eat too much to reduce that need for the bathroom. CBS News correspondent David Young, he's been on one of the Ocean Gate subs. This entire industry, this travel adventure travel industry is dangerous. Going up in the rockets, visiting yeah. the volcanoes, everybody knows the risks involved. Um, and I can tell you that these submersibles are one-offs. It's not like iPhones, there are thousands of them that they can perfect. There's one of it. Mm-hmm. And so there are certain improvised, you know, he got the, the lights from Camper World. He, he drives the thing with an Xbox joystick uh, game controller. So... But this is all standard in the field, and you you know that it's a risk. So, but when they when they first lost contact, why were why wasn't there effort to made made to get to them immediately? How long was this trip supposed to last? Number one, usually it's ten to twelve hours. Okay. It's two and a half hours down, a few hours at the Titanic, and then a couple hours back up. Um, why didn't they send the alarm sooner? I, I can only guess it's because things go wrong all the time in this business. The, uh-huh. the time I was there, my dive to the Titanic only lasted 37 feet down, and then it had a mechanical problem and had to be hoisted back onto the ship. Hmm. That's very standard. So they probably thought, well, the comms will come back. David, what? to expand on Gil's question, are there any outside bodies outside of Ocean Gate that they paid to keep eyes on the sub just in case something like this happens. No, uh, it's an international water. So this this sub, as you sign on the waiver, you say, I understand that this sub has not been inspected or certified by any third party body. Pressure is intense. But of all the things that you say were, you know, picked up at Camper World or Xbox, the, the hull itself was supposed to be Boeing and NASA and impenetrable. 
The hull itself is, it was co-designed with the University of Washington and NASA. It's five inch thick carbon fiber, never been done before. Everybody told Stockton Rush, the CEO and designer of the sub that he was crazy because that doesn't work that way. But in theory, the deeper you go as the pressure builds, the tighter the water is pushing in on those silver end caps and making it more and more waterproof. TV comedy writer Mike Rice is someone else who has been on this particular Titanic trip and also found it remarkable how low-tech certain aspects seems. It's remarkable how basic and simple the whole operation is and that you just sink like a stone and then once you hit bottom, you you steer around on these little little propellers that look like a, a desktop fan. They're that small. When you touch bottom, you don't really know where you are. And again, the compass immediately stopped working and was just spinning around. And so we had to flail around blindly at the bottom of the ocean, knowing the Titanic was somewhere there, but it is, it is so pitch dark that, you know, the, the biggest thing under the ocean was just 500 yards away and we spend 90 minutes looking for it. We're all aware of the dangers going into this, that this is not a lark and, you know, you sign a waiver before you get on that mentions uh, death three different times on page one. And, uh, and, and you have to know that they're learning as they go along you know this isn't so you know like a coach holiday or something they things go wrong in fact i've taken three different dives with this company one to the titanic and two others and you almost always lost communication and you know you're at the mercy of weather and that kind of thing Now, low-tech doesn't necessarily mean unsafe. The trip these people were going on is eight days in total, including safety preparations and hundreds of hours of precautionary work gone into the trips. Eighteen further trips have been planned. Indeed, Stockton Rush, who's thought to be on the missing sub, he posted on Instagram the day before the trip to say a weather window had just opened up and might not be there for much longer. Many round trips like this do get cancelled due to weather concerns. And David Young says safety it is a first thought on these trips. I should tell you that there are many safety features of this sub and of the procedures. It's it's run like a rocket launch. There are these long checklists and there are twice daily briefings that everybody has to attend. Um, There are seven different ways to come back to the surface. Mm -hmm. Why haven't they? That's the real question. Why have we not seen this thing come back into the sunlight? That is the question that makes my blood run cold. Of those seven different ballast systems, Several of them work even if there's no electricity. One of them even works if everybody's passed out. It's a time-release sandbag that after 14 hours drops off by itself. So this thing should be bobbing on the surface. If it isn't, it could only mean two things. Either they got snagged on something on the bottom of the sea, which is pretty unlikely. There's nothing there but the Titanic. Um, Or there was a breach in the hull and it instantly imploded. Whatever the outcome of this search and investigation over the next while, questions are going to be asked about these tours. Whether they're safe, whether they're actually damaging the wreck of the Titanic, which is becoming more unstable the longer it spends down there. Whether some of these trips are distasteful. An American couple got married in a sub parked on the bow of the Titanic in 2001, a place 
which marks the graves of 1,500 people. It's an exclusive club of people who've been there, far fewer than have summited Everest or even been to space. But sometimes, just because you could, doesn't mean you should. This week's show presented by Sean Defoe at Lockenheart on sound. I'll chat to you next week.